Hello friends, it's the midweeks. Welcome back. I'm welcoming myself back. It's been a long time. I got the Rona in October and it's taking me kind of this long to start rebuilding all of my habits, which is kind of sad, but welcome to the real world. Anyhow, I'm actually very happy to get back into Second Kings with you. We're in chapter two. I've just been catching up, reminding myself where we're at. And we're in chapter two where Elijah goes up to heaven with the chariots of fire in the whirlwind. And so this is a cool chapter. And so let's just do what we've been doing. We'll make comments as we go. Starting verse one. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, this is interesting because this is like a chapter heading. They tell you this is what's going to happen in this chapter. And they just kind of throw it out there. Oh, yeah, God's going to take Elijah up in a whirlwind. And you're just like, what? However, I think stylistically what's going on here is that they're telling us what's about to happen because it seems like Elisha and the other prophets also know what's about to happen. So... The narrator has decided to give this information to the audience so that we have a similar experience to those people around Elijah while we're reading this. It was a bit of a known fact that Elijah is processing his final days or final day on the earth and we get um, let in on the secret so that we're not surprised because the other prophets have been let in on the secret through the Spirit of God and they're not surprised. So Elijah and Elisha are traveling. Verse 2, And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. So there's some weird dynamics here. Elisha is going to try to shake, Elijah is going to try to shake Elisha off of his tail a little bit here. And I'm not sure why, um, but Elisha wants to be there for when it goes. And we'll find out later what's what he's angling for, what's in his heart. Now, remember when we met Elisha, initially, Elijah throws his cloak over him and is about to walk off. And Elijah isn't making it easy on Elisha as a disciple. He's not babying him. He's not trying to woo him. He's not trying to make some special offers to stir, stir up his desire to be a prophet. Um, Elijah kind of has this like, if you want it, you want it attitude. And in this case, he's even trying to make it difficult for Elisha. And But Elisha is a man of great spiritual ambition. Remember we met him. He went and chopped up all the oxen when he got his call. Uh, essentially just saying, my old life is dead and I'm going to be a prophet. And here, Elisha is Navy sealing all these rebuffs. And he's saying, nope, I'm going to stay. I'm going to persevere, going to persevere. And there is something about the Lord loving spiritual ambition. And I don't mean like trying to build a big ministry for his own sake. The Lord loves somebody who will kind of crawl over broken glass to get more of the Lord. And Elisha is going to get rewarded for his perseverance in the face of opposition from his uh, master. Verse 24, or sorry, verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophet were at Jericho, drew near to Elisha and said to him, 
Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. So we have this repetition of the story here. First, it's going to Bethel. Now it's going to Jericho. And you have this like repeating. And this is a storytelling technique. So the third time around is the big one. You get this building of anticipation. First, it happens once. Then it happens second. And then it happens a third time. And the third time is often where where the big stuff happens. Um, and there's this progression, right? So they go to Bethel, they go to Jericho, which is right on the boundaries of the promised land. That's the first city that Israel came to when it was invading. And so they're kind of walking away from uh, Israel to do this. And I wonder if it's because when Elisha gets uh, reanointed as the chief prophet, he then invades Israel um, with the Spirit of God, almost reenacting the original conquest. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said to him, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Okay, so I think there's an intensification here. No, no. Yeah, so there's this repetition. So the two of them went on and 50 men from the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from there as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over and gr- dry ground. So this is the third event. <coughs> and there's here's the intensification. So the third repetition of the I won't leave you culminates with <coughs> this supernatural striking of the Jordan to separate it from the two sides. And for sure, this is a, a reenactment of um, the conquest where God stopped the Jordan water for Israel to go through. Now, Elijah is leaving with the miracle, but I think it's a setup for when Elisha comes back into Israel by miracle. Verse 9, and this is what this whole progress from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan has been leading towards. Uh, When they crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And this is why Elisha's tagging along. He wants something. Now that Elisha has proven his persistence before the Lord, he's going to get his opportunity to ask. Elisha said to him, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. So asking for a double portion, that was usually the right of the firstborn son. Uh, When the father died, the firstborn would get a double portion of the inheritance. Um, And so this is what he's asking here. So usually what it would be was they would divide up the entire uh, uh, household into the amount of sons plus one. So if there are three sons, the house will be divided into four portions, and the firstborn would get two of those portions. So the firstborn would essentially get half, and the other two guys would each get a quarter, or however the numbers worked. And But it's he's asking to be treated as the new head of the household here. But interestingly, I'm told this, I think I've counted it out before, you can be the judge, but it seems like um, Elisha actually does twice as many miracles in his ministry as Elijah did, if you count it up. Verse 10, and he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So Elijah punts it back up to the Lord for whether or not he gets his wish. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. So huge supernatural thing. And because they 
tell us what happens, we are kind of seeing this per through Elisha's perspective. He is seeing Elijah being brought up. And so God is saying, you get what you asked for. And Elisha went, saw it. See, there you go. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took out the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water had parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So Elisha gets his wish. He rightly interprets what happened as God's army in effect. So he names it. He, he's calling my father, my father, I think, to Elijah. So he's kind of saying, like, I, I get my wish, right? So I was just talking about him asking to be the firstborn son of the family. And then he's naming Elijah as the father who's now dead, gone up to heaven. He didn't die to go to heaven. He's just taken straight up to heaven. But by naming him as the father, he sees himself as the firstborn son. God is acknowledging him as the firstborn son. And now he's the new head of the household. Um, and then he takes his clothes and tears them up. So this reminds us of when he killed his oxen before, but he's saying goodbye to his old life again. He went from farmer to prophet, and now he's gone from prophet to chief of the prophets. But he's, this is almost like a baptism. He's not just washing his old clothes, he's tearing them up. He's putting on the clothes of his father, saying, I'm taking up this mantle and this role. And then he goes and expects God to be with him. And so the same miracle that Elijah did, he reperforms, not trying to put God in a box of like, this is how miracles work, but by saying, I believe that you have now commissioned me to be the new Elijah. And he strikes the water and God performs that water so that Elisha can go over. And everyone who sees it now is prepared to treat Elisha as the king prophet here. Not, not unlike when God did the miracle for uh, Joshua entering into the promised land so that everybody knew that Joshua was the new Moses, right? Moses got established through performing miracles in, e in Egypt. And then when he died and it was Joshua's turn to go over, God established Joshua as the new prophetic leader over Israel by performing this, um, holding back the water of the Jordan. And now God is establishing Elisha as the new Joshua to Elijah's Mo Moses by performing that same miracle. So there's lots of dynamics going on here, but the whole message is Elisha is now God's man over Israel. Verse 15. This is an interesting little thing, and I think it's kind of human. It provides some balance, right? You had... Um, uh, Elisha following after Elijah to try to see him and where he's going in the first half of the story. Then you get the miracle of the chariots of fire. Um, it right is the center of the story. And then you have this disciples going and looking after Elijah again. And this adds balance, right? So I probably have talked about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it again. These stories are often written with chiasms where there's kind of a central event in the short little story. And then the other parts are balanced by similar events before and after this. So the centerpiece is the chariots of fire. And then that is surrounded by miracles of the Jordan being stopped, which is surrounded by disciples chasing after Elijah. The first time Elisha does follow 
Elijah, you got to know this is a tongue twister talking about this. The second time the disciples don't find Elijah, but um, it provides balance. Looking after the prophet, surrounded by uh, Jordan miracles, and the centerpiece is the the chariot of fire establishing Elisha. And then you when when you read this and you see it, you say, oh, that's a whole story. That that is a nice little self-contained nugget. And I understand that the big deal is that actually Elisha got his wish from the Lord. That's the centerpiece, and that's the big deal. Okay, verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophet were at Jericho, saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So they correctly understand what God's been communicating through this stuff. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they're, now they give a correct response. They show Elisha the honor he is due, which is going to be the opposite of what these young men at Bethel do in a few verses. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. <clears throat> and he said, You shall not send. Right? So the eyes of faith said, No, you're not going to find him. He went up to heaven. And when they urged him until he was ashamed, excuse me, he said, Send. And they sent therefore fifty men, which I think some t a little bit connects to the previous story where 50 men kept going to Elijah and the, the, the fire came down on them. So it, there is a little connection here that here you have another story of 50 men and they're going up looking for Elijah, but this time they don't find him because he's gone to heaven. And, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And they said to him, and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go. So, um, yeah, again, adding this balance, what this story does do is it does confirm that Elijah really went to heaven, similar to how Moses went to heaven. So these are um, two individuals in the Old Testament who are both, you know, kind of died by the word of the Lord. Now, I think, um, I can't remember if Moses actually just died on top of the mountain and they kind of had to hide the body or whatever. I can't totally remember at this moment. Please forgive me. I'm having a brain gap. But there is meant to be this connection between Moses and jo Joshua and Elijah and Elisha. But they're confirming that Elijah really is gone up to heaven. He's not alive somewhere else. They're not, no one's pulling a fast one. Um, they wasted their time because of unbelief, but at least they confirmed that Elijah was really dead. Now we're going to transition out of that unit, that story, into two short little events that are going to give us a window into the ministry of Elisha. And interestingly, he's going to do a healing miracle first. Now, when we first met Elijah, remember he started a famine where people didn't have food. And now Elijah is going to do a miracle where he gives people food. And so there is kind of this uh, more merciful ministry coming out of um, Elisha. You get more, you also get judgment, which we're going to see, but you also get a bit more of a sense of God having mercy on people through Elisha's miracles. But these two little vignettes of God doing something through Elisha are going to um, kind of let him know. He asked for a double portion. Here's two miracles that he did. One of them's a good one. One of them's a bad one. Welcome to the ministry of Elisha is kind of what's going on here. 
Verse 19, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Um, so it's a great city, but there's something really wrong with it. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water had been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. And again, so there's a bowl and there's salt, but these are probably metaphors, like salt as seen as a cleansing, preserving thing. It's not the salt itself that does the work. It's clear that it's because he spoke a powerful miracle. This does remind me of when Moses got um, Israel out of Egypt. One of the first things they did is they went to a, uh, a place where the water was bad and Moses cured it by throwing a piece of wood into it. And so this is like a reminder of the power of Moses. Um, that that there's a, a restoration of water so that people can live being a big part of the ministry and then so that's the good one that's the healing one that's the having mercy so when people see elisha as a servant of god they get mercy from god they get healing from god and then you have verse 23 he went up from there to bethel and while he was going up on the way some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying go up you bald head go up you bald head and he turned around and when he saw them he cursed them in the name of the lord and two she bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys from there he went on to mount carmel and from there he returned to samaria Okay, so the first story is about people um, receiving Elisha as God's man. You can see even they say to him, as my Lord sees, the city is pleasant. So they honor his, uh, his authority. They honor his high position. They call him Lord and they get a miracle. And then when he goes to Bethel, you get these mocking boys who come out of him. And they are taunting him somehow, go up, you bald head. So maybe this is like, why don't you go up like Elijah or something like this? But the, I'm not sure exactly what the diss is. It doesn't seem super witty. But the scripture's clear that these boys are jeering him. So they're treating him with dishonor. And so he curses them. And remember, uh, Solomon says, a curse that is undeserved does not alight. Um, this isn't a magic spell. He's just saying, hey, uh, I'm the Lord's man, you're not treating me like that. And then these bears come out and maul the boys. And this does remind us again of one of the last stories with Elijah, where he calls down fire from heaven from people who dishonor him. And that third guy comes and honors him and says, you're a prophet, have mercy on us. And he, they get mercy, they don't die. But the same thing, like God has so associated himself with these prophets that when they dishonor the prophets, they're dishonoring the Lord and they get judgment from the Lord from it. And so... That is the, key, the thing. Now, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think one of the key verses in the whole Bible, key statements of the whole Bible, if you want to understand how the world works, is this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see this coming through Elisha again. Elisha humbles himself and says, I would like a double portion. I need more of God than I've already got. And he gets it. He gets grace for being humble. Though his humility looks like ambition. His humility looks like um, striving and pressing forward and persevering because he's humble enough to realize that he doesn't have anything with God, but God is a generous God and God is a giving God. And so if he pursues God, he'll get more of God. And that's humility. Um, here in these two stories, the humble people who say, Lord, help to Elisha, get a healing. And the young men, 
or the small boys, it's not totally clear from the Hebrew how old they might be. They are proud and jeering, and God opposes them by sending some angry mother bears into their midst. And so we have this same dynamic. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the question is going to be, as you follow, as Elisha begins his ministry and heads from Mount Carmel, where Elijah met with the Lord and was told to go and appoint Elisha, and then there's these other things that he says are going to happen. He goes to Samaria, where the unbelieving kings reign, and the big question is, will these unbelieving kings be proud and get opposition from the Lord, which is what happens, or will they humble themselves and get grace? And this is this is the setup, right? What will happen with these kings when a double-portioned prophet from God comes and invades Israel by stopping the Jordan River, and he's invading the promised land, one man against the unbelieving, often two Canaanite-like kings of Samaria? What's going to happen? But the promise is, if they'll humble themselves, they'll get grace, but if they're proud, they'll get opposition from the Lord. And that is chapter 2 of Second Kings. Be blessed.